0: Thank you. Oh mm-hmm. Strain towards such mystery, and magnificent I never say. they'll paint the awesome scene when Christ threw in the stand of man when Jesus Christ the radiant one took on the shadows of light then rose again just as the sun with light and power and
1: All right then, let's start. I'll just, uh, I'll just pray, ask the Lord to help. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would use this message. We pray, Lord, that you would oversee this technology to bless everyone involved in this time of worship, and listening to your word. We pray, Lord, that your glory would be seen, that you, Lord, would be lifted up and your people and those who don't know you would, Lord, find themselves drawn close to you because of this time. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. And um, I want to welcome you to our time of worship and word. Of course, you've already enjoyed the worship with Chris and the team. And now we're going to dive deep into the Bible to experience again what it was that Jesus went through as he came to the cross was crucified, and died for us. And this, this year, we're going to use Luke chapter 23 as the story of that journey to Calvary that Jesus took for us. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 23 and verse 26. As they led Jesus away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was on his way from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them and said, "'Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children, for the time will come when you will say, "'Blessed are the barren women.'" the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say, mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? We'll pick up the story again in a moment. But here we have Jesus being led away from this terrible time that he's experienced. He's remember been arrested in the garden of Gethsemane where he was praying with his disciples. He's been taken in front of various different senior figures in Israel at the time, including Pontius Pilate. He's been charged with false charges. He's been convicted by a cowardly judge. And he's been brutally tortured by soldiers who mocked him in his pain. And Jesus is now already very, very overstretched physically. He is physically worn out. He is already stumbling on his journey to the place of crucifixion. And it looks like he's not gonna make it and so those that are responsible, the soldiers and others who are there see a face in the crowd that looks different from everyone else's. Of course, all of those faces would not look very much like the faces of your family or mine. Most of us look quite different from the people of Israel at the time of Jesus. But in the crowd amidst those faces was a very dark, ebony-skinned face, the face of an African a man from Cyrene. And perhaps because of that, he was identified and brought to Jesus and told to carry the cross ahead of him. And he's mentioned by name, suggesting that Luke knew this person, or at least the people that received this gospel knew who he was. He had become a personality, a character, a known known person in the ranks of the early church. No doubt, after these events, he had bowed the knee and come to know Jesus himself. He was simply known as Simon of Cyrene. Along with Simon, there is another pause in the story. Jesus stops as he hears the women wailing, weeping for him and for his imminent death. And he speaks words of comfort and warning to them. It's an amazing thing to me that Jesus, in the moment of physical extremity, in the moment of emotional pain, in the moment of deep isolation and hurt, is able to minister to people on the margins, women who were considered to be second-rate citizens a black man who was different from everyone else, no doubt abused for his culture and colour. Here, Jesus demonstrates, and so does God himself, through this story, demonstrates that here at this most precious moment in all of human history, God has a concern to include everyone, especially those who are considered at the margins, those who are considered alien. And the story as it continues, continues in a similar vein. Let me read it to you. Verse 32 Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his left and the other. On his right, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Do you notice what it is that Jesus does at this moment? The nails have been driven into his hands and feet. But as the as the song says it was not nails that held Jesus to the cross it was love it was not nails that held Jesus against that wood it was our sin we who have perpetrated any kind of self-centered life, activity, behavior, even thoughts, have put ourselves at a distance from a holy and loving God. And Jesus, knowing that we could never know God, being separated by our selfishness, by our self-centeredness, by our sin, Jesus decided in love that he would go to the cross in our place. But when he goes to the cross and he goes through that, that terrible pain of crucifixion, he is only concerned with one thing, that any and all who know that they're sinners and even those that don't know that they're sinners are forgiven by what it is that he is about to achieve on their behalf. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That was true of the people who were crucifying him. That was true of the people who were convicting him. That was true of the people that were hurling insults of the two criminals who were being crucified with him. Nobody fully understood, as Peter said when he was preaching to the people of Jerusalem just a few weeks later, he said, I know that these things you did in ignorance. Jesus knows that so much of what we do to alienate us from God is done in ignorance. I'm sure if, if we thought about it, every time we expressed our own self-centeredness, every time we decided to go our own way, if at that moment we were fully aware of what it was that we were doing to God and how it was we were putting ourselves at a distance from him, we would, of course, think twice about it. Maybe not on other occasions, but, but Jesus knows that very often what we do, we do in ignorance. And here's the amazing thing. Whatever it is that you've done, however large or small it may seem to you that the particular thing that you've done is really, Jesus forgives all of it, whether we're conscious of it or not whether we're ignorant or not, whether we know what it is that we're doing or not, Jesus wants us to know that he forgives us completely for everything. So how, how then does this sin work in our lives? I know that there are some young people watching and I want to make sure that, that we've had a chance to think about how sin works in our life and how Jesus in dying for us wiped away all trace of sin and sets us free from the penalty and the power of sin. What does sin really look like? Well, I've got a a whiteboard here. It's actually set up as if it were a chalkboard and I'm not a great artist as any of you who've been on Sundays will know But I thought I would try to picture what sin is like by using something that we're all very familiar with right now. The coronavirus, COVID-19, is something that is spreading to every part of the world. Every nation of the world has now been touched by it. The Bible in, in Romans chapter five says that Adam the very first human being spread the virus of sin to all of the world by beginning with the first desire, the first commitment to walk away from God and be independent from him. And in that independence and in that self-orientation, Adam led the rest of the world astray. It's like a virus that has spread to infect every person. And of course, every person, young or old, is not excluded. There's no difference in who you are or how much money you have or where you live as to whether the virus reaches you. And that's absolutely true of sin. The amazing thing about the coronavirus is that people have been studying it for a long time. There are several coronaviruses, and the reason they have that name is that in the 1960s, a long time before many of you were born, people began to study this virus by looking at it under a microscope. It needed to be a very powerful microscope. It's called an electron microscope. Ask your parents if you don't know what that is. And when they first looked at the virus, they noticed that it was like a ball and that the ball had these kind of pointy things sticking out from it and it made it look like a crown. And so they took the word from Latin, I believe, to mean crown and they called it the crown virus or the coronavirus Now, just recently, of course, electron microscopes are much, much more powerful. And so today, when scientists look at the virus, they see not a ball with what looks like a crown around it, but a ball that looks really quite different. It looks like, well... If you've ever seen one of these on an old movie or maybe in a, in a picture book somewhere, it looks very much like a sea mine. These mines have little things sticking out of them so that, so that when the ship is going past, it's usually chained down somewhere to something, When the ship goes past, it hits the mine and it sinks the ship. And so today, when we look at the coronavirus, it doesn't look anything like as attractive as it did when the first scientists saw it for the first time. Sin is very similar to that journey of us seeing this virus. COVID-19 is a coronavirus. It's a virus that we first saw as something that seemed quite beautiful, something that seemed quite compelling, something that seemed quite attractive. But of course, now we see it as something incredibly dangerous, as incredibly destructive and so it is with sin in our life. We, we see the opportunities for self-centeredness and, and self-gratification, and it seems so attractive to us. But before long, that attraction wears thin, and we begin to see it for what it truly is, an incredibly dangerous presence in our life. But by the time we realize the danger of sin, we, of course, are now captured by it. So what are we to do? If the virus of sin has infected everybody, what are we to do? Well, Jesus pays the penalty for sin and removes the power of sin. Sin separates us from God and the consequence of being separated from God means that we die spiritually and physically away from God, never to know him or to see him. That penalty of sin is paid for by Jesus as he goes to the cross. And because he loves us, He went to the cross. And because he loves us so much that he he wants us to know him and know the Father, he stayed on the cross. It was love that held Jesus on the cross and it was our sin that took him there. But of course, sin, as well as having a penalty, has a power in our lives. Jesus on the cross, remove the power of sin so that today we have power, the Bible tells us, to say no to sin. It's one thing to be free of the penalty. It's another thing to be free of the power of sin. And God, by his spirit, will work in us to continue the work of setting us free from the things that would attract us that will only hurt or damage us and others. And so when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. In some ways, that's true of everybody. However much you've studied the nature and the progress of sin, there is still so much of it that we don't really understand because we're only frail human beings and we don't really grasp these deeper things certainly not until we're in heaven, but we can celebrate the gift of Jesus. We can celebrate his gift of himself dying in our place, dying that we might be free from the penalty of death, and in dying to free us from the penalty of death, setting us free from the power of death. And how do we know that we're set free from the power of death? How do we know that we're set free from the power of sin? Because Jesus, on the third day, rose again. And of course, we're gonna celebrate that in just a couple of days. The power of the resurrection is the revelation of the power that Jesus released on the cross. So as we consider this Good Friday, I would ask you again to consider this amazing gift of Jesus. The gift of Jesus to set us free from the penalty of sin and also its power. And as we come to this portion of our time of worship and word, I want to lead you In communion, because on the night that Jesus met with his disciples before he went to the cross, he gave them the great gift of the Last Supper, where he took bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And of course, he he took the cup of wine that was shared there at the table at the Last Supper and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, drink it. Now, we've recommended that those of you who want to join us take the bread and the wine. So it may be that at this moment you pause your moment with us and just gather those elements and let's share in this time together. And as we as we break this bread. We remember Jesus and we say thank you Jesus that you gave up your life for me so that I might live. we take the cup of wine and we say Jesus thank you that your blood was shed for me that your blood cleanses me and that your blood sets me free So we've journeyed with Jesus to the cross, to the place of his crucifixion. We've looked at how sin works and how Jesus has given us this great gift of freedom from the penalty and the power of sin. And so we turn to him in prayer and it's a prayer of thanksgiving. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. And thank you, Lord, that in removing the penalty of sin, you've given us life. And by removing the power of sin, you've made it possible for us to walk with you every day. Lord Jesus, we pray that we might walk with you every day and know that when we stumble, when we do wrong, when we think wrong, when we act wrong, your words from the cross still ring true and are still powerful today. Your prayer to the Father is still as effective today as it ever was because you say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the freedom that your forgiveness brings. And Lord, may we live not only in the joy of this gift, but in the knowledge that we can share this gift with any and all. And so we pray, Lord, that you would equip and empower us to take this gift of forgiveness to many at this time. And we pray, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. We will, of course, see you again on Easter Sunday. And we look forward to joining again with you then. God bless.